We've been looking at some things about our God. We've preached about uh, the God of good. We've preached about the God of forgiveness. We've talked about the God of a second chance. This morning's message is a little different from Genesis chapter 11. It'll be about the God who confounds. The God who confounds. Genesis chapter 11 is a turning point in human history. If it were not for Genesis chapter 11, all of humanity would, would have stayed together in one place. They would have all had one language. And yet God interrupted that and he confounded them. And we want to look about why that is and about something else about our God today. And it not only applies to those who lived in Genesis chapter 11... Of course, the effects of that is still going on today. Isn't that amazing, you know? So many thousands and thousands of years later, humanity still bears the effects of what God did in Genesis chapter 11. Let you know that when God does something, He he does it big. And uh, we need to take note of it. And He's still a God that's able to do that. So as you look with me in Genesis chapter 11, the Bible says in verse number 1, And the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. And it came to pass, as they journeyed from the east, that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. And they said one to another, Go to, let us make brick. And burned them throughly, and they had brick for stone, and slime had they for mortar. And they said, Go to, let us build us a city and a tower, whose top may reach unto heaven. And let us make us a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down. I said, the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men builded. And the Lord said, behold, the people is one. And they have all one language, and this they begin to do, and now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. Go to, let us go down, and there confound their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of all the earth, and they left off to build the city. Therefore is the name of it called Babel. Because the Lord did there confound the language of all the earth. And from thence did the Lord scatter them abroad upon the face of all the earth. The God who confounds. What does the word confound mean? This is the first mention of it in the Bible. Many times that word is together with another word. The word confusion. Maybe you're not as familiar with the word 
confound, but you would be familiar with the word confusion. This found the same verse again as I just said. I'll, I'll read you for scripture in Isaiah 45. talks about they shall be ashamed and also confounded all of them. They shall go to confusion together. So he almost uses that word sometimes interchangeably. To confound in the old 1828 dictionary, here is the definition for that. It means to mingle and blend different things so that their forms or natures cannot be distinguished, to throw something into disorder. And on that old dictionary, it'll even use verses of the Bible to show you that definition. And under that definition of throwing something into disorder is this reference in Genesis 11. In other words, God brought the disorder. He's the one that confounded them. He is the one that confused them. The Old Dictionary has the same definition of the word confusion, if you would look it up. It means disorder. It means no order in society. Everything is just out of place and going in different directions, and confusion is there. There's a great story in the book of Acts when Paul is preaching, and the Bible says the whole city, the whole city was filled with confusion, and they were so confused, they didn't even know why they were there. <laughs> you know, you, you are really confounded when a whole gathering, a multitude of people there, and they don't even know why they're there. Do you know that is really what is happening in the world today and in people's lives? They don't even know why they're here. They're so confused in life. Their life is in disorder. It's in disarray. There's no structure there. It's all flying to the wind. There are seemingly no rules. And they don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And that is not only a product of what man has done to himself. But what I want to show you this morning is a product of what God does to humanity. God confounds people. Now I know if if you think like I do, as I think through the Bible, I don't just take out one text in the whole of the Bible. If you remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, which is amazingly a chapter on tongues, there is a phrase in that chapter that says this, for God is not the author of confusion. In other words, God does not want there to be confusion in the church. God does not want there to be confusion in the lives of His people. You should not be confused about eternity. You should not be confused about heaven and hell. You should not be confused about the meaning of life. You should not be confused about what God wants for you. But God is not the author of confusion. But, but I will say this. You say, well, how does that work with this chapter? Because here it is God that has come down to confound the people. and to conf- How does that go together? I would say this. God is not the author of confusion, but he is the finisher of it. In other words, this is what God will do. If you are confounded, if you're already confused, if your heart and your life are not what it's supposed to be and you're not responding to God, God will solidify your confusion in response to our sin and to our hearts. You know, the Spirit of God works on us to tender our hearts, does He not? But you know the Spirit of God can also harden your heart. 
Now, his perfect will is to tender your heart. But if you harden your heart, he will harden it more. That's the testimony of Pharaoh. That wasn't God's perfect will. Pharaoh could have let the people go, but he he wouldn't listen to God. He he wouldn't listen to God's representatives, and he was not interested in that. And so because he hardened his heart, God hardened his heart. If you you have confused life, if you have confounded yourself with the things of God and rejected them, then guess what God might just come down and do? He might just further that confusion. I want to show you this in the Bible. Would you look... Of about why and where confusion and being confounded really comes from. Would you take your Bible to the book of Ezra real quickly, please? Several verses. I want you to read the Bible with me today. I want you to see this with your own eyes because it will affect your life as well. So many times in the Old Testament, uh, and you look up that word confound, it has to do with people that are worshiping idols, and they have set up some other idol in their life. And so they are, they are confounded, they are confused, and God brings that judgment in their life. Sin provokes God to confound people. I want to say that again. That's my first point. Sin provokes God to confound people. He's not going to let humanity go on their merry way. He's not going to let you stay where you are. He'll make it worse. In Ezra chapter 9, Ezra chapter 9, the Bible says in verse number 7, great prayer of Ezra, verse 6, he says, Oh my God, I'm ashamed and blushed. This is a good man. This is a holy, godly man. I'm ashamed and blessed to lift up my face to thee, my God, for our iniquities are increased over our head, and our trespass is grown up unto the heavens. Since the days of our fathers have we been in a great trespass unto this day, and for our iniquities have we, our kings and our priests, been delivered in the hand of the kings of the land to the sword, to captivity, and to a spoil, and to, what does he say? Confusion of face as it is this day. You know how much confusion there was in the captivity? You know how much confusion there was in Israel? You remember how Israel was divided into two two parts? And there was so much confusion, it was one nation and then... But, but, but who, who was it? Was it just man that, that divided it up? Was it just his uh, uh, authorship of that? No, it was also God divided that nation. Remember that? God took the kingdoms away from from, uh, Solomon's son and gave them to Jeroboam. God God split it. God allowed the confusion. And then even in the captivity, when Assyria came and took them off, and oh, what confusion. I mean, you leave your home and your land, and you're torn away from your job and your worship and, and everything else, and your families, and you go to a strange land. And all of that confusion and all of that being totally confounded and overwhelmed. God allowed that to happen. He was a God who confounded them. He did the same thing with Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon when they took them away. It's interesting how Babel is not only in the beginning of your Bible, but in the middle of your Bible and in the end of your Bible. It's almost a summarization of how God looks at humanity and the world system, whether it begins in Genesis chapter 11 or if, if it consummates in this, in this world system with Nebuchadnezzar in the book of Daniel, that Babel in the great, or if it finishes with the Antichrist system in Revelation uh, 17 and 18 about Babel in the great, the heart, that, that system of the world and there, it's confusion. 
But it's come about because of man's sin and God has just allowed and deepened and continued the confusion. I really believe that the confusion of our generation is the work of God. The work of God in judgment upon people's sin. Go to Jeremiah, would you? Jeremiah chapter 3. He did that. Daniel said, repeated the same prayer, by the way, of Ezra. He talks about confusion of face as, as he is praying to God. And he says, this is because we've sinned. We're confused because we have sinned. And you've allowed this confusion to envelop our lives. God is a God of love. God, we've already preached about the God of forgiveness. God is the God of check, second chance. God is a good God. But God is also a God who will confound you if you do not submit your heart to His will. It's very serious. In Jeremiah, he says, Jeremiah chapter 3, would you look at it? Verse number 22 says, return you backsliding children, I will heal your backsliding. It's not there's a problem with God. He, he wants to heal people. He wants to forgive them. He wants to make their lives right. Look at verse Jeremiah chapter 3 and verse number 25. He says, we lie down in our shame and our confusion cover us, covereth us. For we have sinned against the Lord our God. We and our fathers from our youth even unto this day and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God. So the result of that is God sent confusion into their life. Jeremiah 22, would you look at that? Has there ever been a day where people are so confused? I mean, you look at the word confound and confusion and in the book of Leviticus, and I'm not even going to quote the verses. I mean, they're, they're deviant. They're, they're just terrible. Uh, the Bible talks about how, how confused people can be with sexual perversions. He, he mentions that. He says, and he says, this is confusion. No, th- this is out of order. This, this is out of control. This is just crazy. And then he says over in Romans chapter 1, that people that are involved in that deviancy, that God gives them over to a reprobate mind. You see what? They went that way and rejected God, so God just further enhances their confusion. Jeremiah chapter 22, would you look at verse 22? The wind shall eat up all thy pastors, and thy lovers shall go into captivity. Surely then shalt thou be ashamed and confounded for all thy wickedness. God is going to send confusion to them because of their wickedness. I'll quote you some more verses. Isaiah 41, 11, All they that were incensed against thee shall be ashamed and confounded. He says when you get mad at God and you're incensed against God, God will just confound your heart. Isaiah chapter 30 and verse 3, the Bible says, Therefore uh, shall the trust of in the shadow of Egypt be your confusion. When God's people started trusting somebody else besides trusting God, He caused it to confuse their lives. Here's another verse. 
For where envy, this is a New Testament verse, James 3.16. For where envy and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. You know, if you become an envious person, can I say to you, God is going to bring confusion in your life. He's going to confuse your mind. He's going to confuse your heart. If you give yourself over to envy, if you give yourself over to strife, then the result of that, and God is going to make sure it occurs because He says, Whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. If we give our hearts to sin like that, then we are inviting God to confound and confuse our hearts. I'm telling you again, I'm telling you again, most people are confused because God Almighty has stamped confusion on their heart. Because that's the way they've bent their heart. That's the way they've turned. Guys, we cannot be bent to sin without there be serious consequences to our minds and our hearts and our lives. God will make sure of it. Have you ever been so confused with something you didn't know what to do? Maybe you're trying, I've tried to put things together and I got so confused, I just threw everything up and left. You ever been that way? You ever been that confused? What's the use? Do you know that's what we're seeing in, in people living their lives today? They're so confused that they're throwing up the pieces of their life and they're just walking away because they do not know what to do. They do not understand what's going on. They do not know what, what, what is even right or wrong. They, they cannot seem to fight. And many times that is because God has brought confusion in their life and they've been confounded because they've turned their hearts from Him. The greatest security for your sanity is to hear and listen and obey God. Because when you fail to do that, you don't know where your confusion is going to end up. Sin provokes God to confound. Having said that, now let's go back to our text because we don't want to leave our text. You say, well, what's the sin of Genesis 11? Why do you come down and confound these people? Alexander Hislop has, a, has a, a very probing, a very hard book to read. It's called The Two Babylons. If you want more information, you, you can read, read about that. I, I really, what I want to do this morning is not just so focus on the Tower of Babel and the people of Babel. Though I'm, I'm going to point out what's going on here. I'm really trying to focus in on God. Because just like I said, when we're preaching through the book of Jude, we'll be there again tonight. And we look at the day of our apostasy and we can look at all that's wrong and we look at all the people and we look at all all what's going on. We can fail to see the character of God. And what I want you to see in Genesis chapter 11 is not really what the men are doing. I'm wanting you to see what God is doing. The Bible says in chapter 11 verse 1 of Genesis, the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. What's, what's their sin? The, the Bible says in verse number 6, And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one, and they have all one language. What, what, what is the sin of these people? They're all together. I mean, this is, a, this is an ecumenicalist dream. This is a world peace uh, you know, this is a United Nations charter. This, this is the great, this should be the greatest thing on the history of mankind when the whole world is one. 
Unity is great only if it's unity with God. And unity is terrible when God's not involved. And all the world is trying to get together. You know, people get frustrated that our country is not unified. Our, Our country is as divided as it's been since 1861. And there are people saying, you know, maybe it's time for a divorce. And when people say that, they're the, they're the most uh, maligned people in our society. How, how in the world would you say our country would need to be? It, don't we pledge allegiance that we have one nation indivisible? Ah. What do you want me to be one with? I, I love unity, but I'm not going to be unified in something where God's not in it. By the way, there needs to be unity in your home. We had a great week of emphasizing home. There needs to be unity in your home, but it needs to be around Jesus. Not not around one opinion or one thought or one idea or other. It needs to be unified around Jesus. And if there's anything that ought to unify our home, it ought to be the Bible. It ought to be the Lord Jesus Christ. It ought to be our Savior. It ought to be the truth. That's what we got to unify ourselves over. So they had unity, but God's not here. They're getting together, but they're not getting together with God. They're not inviting him to the party. <laughs> and the Bible said in verse 5, the Lord came down to see the city. And I, I believe, you know, guess what? The Lord's going to come down again. Amen. You know what the Bible says when the Lord Jesus Christ comes back down? You know what, he, what the Bible says he's going to do? He is going to stretch out upon this world a line of confusion. Isaiah 34 verse 11. The Bible says he is going to smite the horse with astonishment and the rider with madness. He is going to confound the world. Zechariah 10 5. When he comes again, just like when God, all three parts of the Godhead, you see verse 7, go to, let us go down. That's God speaking. God is an us. That, those Jesus only people need to read that. Yeah, Jewish people need to read that. That's in their own book. That's where the Jews choked. Well, there's just one God. Yes, there is one God, but he says there's us. <laughs> there's, there's three in one, you see. And God says, I think I'm going to go down and look around. Because I sure wasn't invited to this party. Let me see what they're doing. They're all together. Hmm. I don't like what I'm seeing here. I don't really like what they're unified about. I don't, I don't like their progress. I don't like their success. What, what do you see, God, that we don't see? The Bible says in verse number 4, they said, Go to, let us build us a city and a tower. They're just trying to build a city. Oh, are they not, are they not comfortable with, with where they are? Do they, is there something wrong with living rural? Do we have to have city life? 
I think we, I think God's people ought to reach the cities. I'm glad there are churches in the cities. But I tell you what, you won't find a more godless place than if you go in the heart of our cities. We want to build a city and we want to build a tower. A tower? What kind of a tower? Is this a religious tower? You know, I read in the Psalms that, that God is supposed to be my high tower. But you're building your own tower. Do you see that? You want your own success. They say in verse number Three, they said one to another, go to. Let, let's go somewhere. Verse number four, they said, go to. Let us go somewhere. We want to go somewhere, but we want to go somewhere without God. We want to make a move, but we're not answering God going with us in our move. We just want to move. We, we want to go a different place, a different direction, do a different thing. We know God put us here, but we want to go over there. We know I'm living here in, in this life, but I want to build a city life. We, we know we have the very God of heaven that we can worship and offer sacrifice and call the name of the Lord, but we want to build a tower. And I want you to watch two times they said, go to, go to, and then God said, verse 7, to himself, go to. Watch, watch this now. When you move, God moves. And not always for good. When you move, God moves. When they moved and said go and they begin this journey, God began to take a journey to see what they're doing. Now that can be a good thing, it can be a bad thing. The Bible tells us to draw nigh to God. You know what that is? That's moving toward Him. Again, when you move, God moves. Draw nigh to God and He will what? Draw nigh to you. You move to God, He'll move to you. Is that true? You know what? I'm so glad that verse is in the Bible. I will hold on to that verse till I, till I go to my grave if He'll give me sanity. As long as I'll move to God, God will move to me. But what if I move a different direction? He's also going to move. He's also going to take notice of it. He's also going to... I wonder, I wonder this morning, would you think about not God coming down and looking at the city and the tower they were building? Would you think about God coming down and viewing and looking at your life and the moves you've made in your life and the moves you're making in your heart and the moves you're making in your decisions? Would you think about God coming down to take a look at that? And what is it going to provoke him to do? In this story, it provoked him to destroy everything they had done. Because he didn't like the direction they moved. They were one, but they weren't one with God. They were one, but what's the, what's the motive? Look at verse number 4. They said, go to, let us build us a city. I'm trying to tell you why God confounded them. There was a reason why God confounded them. They said, go to, let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven and let us make us a name. Do you see that? In other words, we're building this city for us. You see that? By the way, look at verse 4 again. They said, go to, let us build us a city. Listen! Why are you building 
the Tower of Babel. It's for us. You mean you don't want to build anything for God? You just want to build it for you? You know, I, I want God to build His church in this place, but I want Him to build it for Himself. I want you, as we've have already had family camp, I want you to build a wonderful home, but it's not to be built for you. It's supposed to be built for God. Everything we do is supposed to be for Him. It is not supposed to be for us. Are we so humanistic that every decision we make in our life is just about me? If that's the case, it will end up in confusion where it ought to end up. If whatever you're building in your life is not for God, I hope God busts it up and you're totally confused in what you're doing. Because it's not worthy of the effort. Guys, there's only one thing worthy of our effort, of our building, of our blood, our sweat, our tears. And that's something done for the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ and for His Whatsoever you do, do all the glory of God. It's not for me. It's not for us. It's for Him. And if it's not, it's going to end in confusion. I've seen that so much in my life. Even your good intentions. You know, you know they're not smoking dope here at the Tower of Babel. Maybe they've got telescopes. Maybe they're, maybe they're sending rocket ships up into the heaven. I don't know. I don't even know what they're doing here. But I don't see any, doesn't look like there's any paganism going on as far as what I'm reading. Maybe it's there and I don't see it. God didn't speak about it. They're just doing something for themselves. That is not what life's about. If you want to be consumed, just live for yourself and you will be totally confounded. Because you ain't worth living for. Neither am I. None of us are. Go to, let us build us a city and a tower. He said, and I'll read it to you, Psalm 72, 19. And blessed be his glorious name forever. And let the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. The psalmist said, we, we're not trying to build us a name. We want His name to be built. You see it? The time of let us build us a name. No, no. Let's build Him a name. Let's lift up His name. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. None of the name under heaven. The greatest name. The precious name. The worthy name. Now when I'm thinking about my name, God says, I don't like what I see here. This is all for you guys. I think I'm going to bust this party up. I'm going to confuse you. You're wanting fame. You're wanting success. But you don't want my glory. You're not trying to build me a name. You're trying to build yourself a name. I'm not first. You're first. That's a sin. If you want not to be confused in life like all the rest of the world is, you need to get to God and let Him have preeminence in all things in your life. Or it'll end in confusion.
I see another sin here. The Bible says in verse 6, would you look at it? And the Lord said they were one, but not with God. They were one, but it was to make themselves a name. They were one, but they had no limitations. Verse 6. And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one, and they have all one language, and this they begin to do, and now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. In other words, they are embarking on a journey where they will have no restraints. Whatever they imagine, they are going to accomplish. Mm. We've already noticed that God sent a flood because the imaginations of their hearts were only evil continually. We need to restrain our imaginations. This humanity was so successful in Genesis chapter 11 that the Bible says they're building... Watch this, verse 4. We build a tower whose top may reach unto heaven. Now you can say that's the first heaven. You can say that's the second heaven. You can say that's even the third heaven. It doesn't say which heaven. I don't know how big this tower got. God, God doesn't tell us for, for a purpose, for a reason. But they, listen, they are trying to reach heaven without God. They are trying to build something to heaven without God. And God says, nothing will be restrained from them. They'll be able to do whatever they want. And where is this going to stop? I have got to stop their progress. I have, by the way, division hinders the progress of, of, of ungodliness. And so he, he divides their languages. He divides them from one another just to stop them from making progress without him. A tower to reach unto heaven. Watch what it says. There's, there's a little italicized word there once you see verse 4. They said, go to let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven. They had no assurance. Well, maybe this will happen. Let me tell you something. You know that's where people are. <laughs> well, are you are you going to heaven when you die? Well, I may. <laughs> you better get rid of that tower. Amen. They had no assurance they were going to be able to do it. They said, "Well, maybe maybe we can do it. Maybe we'll get there." That's not the life of faith. That's not the life of, of God bringing His promises. Well, we we'll do this. We'll try to do it with our own power, and we're going to get everybody to heaven. Maybe. I ain't getting to heaven, maybe. And I don't need a tower, and I don't need a ladder, and I don't need a rocket ship, and I don't even need a religion, amen. I've got a person that built a bridge between heaven and earth that let me cross the Lord Jesus Christ with His blessed cross. He gave me an assured way to get to His heaven. And it's His work. I just have to go His way. They said, we're trying to get to heaven, but we don't need God. We're not sure we'll get there. There's no faith in the Lord here. And I want you to watch how, how easily, how easily God took the height of human society and made it crumble. I mean, verse 7, go to, let us go down. And there confound their language that they may not understand one another's speech. <laughs> you know, all God had to do to stop what they were doing, 
All that God had to do to judge them was to mess with their mind. And all of a sudden, this quick, everybody started talking a different language. Where did all the languages come from? God put it in people's brains. He just went. He didn't snap his fingers. He didn't say, hey, cocus pocus. He didn't work up a sweat. He just said, okay, your language is confounded. And that quick, all humanity has been speaking hundreds of languages since that day. God didn't even work up a sweat. He just made, made them all speak different languages. And we're still speaking different languages. And some of us don't speak the one we know very well. Do you, guys, do you know how, if God in the middle of time, can you see these guys working on the tower? And one guy said, hey, how you doing? He says, che my fachets. Che. And the other guy says, uh, Paracolo. He looks at him. And th- 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 it just happened immediately. Do you know how quick God can mess with your mind? Do we need to hear the testimony of Nebuchadnezzar again? He didn't just change his language. He forgot he was a human being. He's on his face like an animal. You said, preacher, what's going on in our society? People don't know if they're male or female or rhinoceroses or giraffes. Or I think God has messed with people's minds. I don't just think it's culture, guys. I think we are living in a day where God is messing with people's minds. From the White House to your house. We live our lives like God's not involved. Well, you know, if I have good DNA and I have a good education and I have good health and I do a, I'll have a good mind. You, you, if God can start making you speak Swahili in five seconds, He can mess with your mind in a whole lot of ways. You say, preacher, are you trying to scare us? I sure am. Because people are living their lives without God, without the fear of God, without obedience to God, without listening to His voice, and they think there's no consequences. We have a God who confounds. You know, God's power is so strong. He not only easily confounds them, but you know, then you go all the way over, and it's a companion passage. You go from Genesis 11 to Acts chapter 2. You know what, you know what word you find in Acts chapter 2? The Bible says the whole multitude was confounded. You know what they were confounded about? God has his, he fills his church with the Holy Ghost, and they all start preaching the gospel. Watch this now, watch this now. And they start preaching it in every language under heaven. It's just the reverse. God looks down and says, Boy, we got all types of languages. I want to hear, I want to hear the gospel of my son. I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm just going to flip a little switch in their mind. And they're going to be preaching in languages they've never studied. They've never learned. They've never heard the power of God to, to give somebody the ability to speak all. And the multitude said, man, how are these Galileans speaking in all these languages? Because you have a God that can touch people's minds. 
By the way, when Jesus comes again, you know what Zephaniah tells us in 3.10? He says he's going to turn to the whole earth one pure language again. As easily as God turned a switch in people's brains, and we've got hundreds and maybe thousands of languages. I don't even know how many there are. God can turn a switch and make it all go back. Wow. That quick, we can all, all around the world be speaking the same language. And some nuts say, well, what language is that? Does it really matter? (laughs) Who cares? We're talking about the power of God. Now, I'm trying to get you to think about your God. If God can change your mind, if God can influence your mind, if He's got that much power and He does it so easily, should not I submit myself to Him? God hath chosen the foolish things to confound the wise. God's chosen the weak things to confound the mighty. And here we live our lives like God is not moving and God is not seeing and God is not looking. Maybe He's already begun to start messing with your mind. I heard a preacher when I was a young man a long time ago. He said this, you mess with God's book, God will mess with your mind. I've always left that book alone. But it ain't just the book you can mess with and God will mess with your mind. You said, okay, preacher, in the message, we've heard enough. You're telling us people, so many people crazy because it's God. Yeah, that's what I'm telling you. Well, okay, give us some good news. Okay. Here is the antidote for God confounding you. You ready for it? It's easy. But it's a pill people don't take. Psalm 22 and 1 Peter 2, and we're finished. You say, preacher, I don't want God to confuse my life. I don't want him to confound me. I don't want him to do what happened there in that story. I want to keep my mind. I want my life not to be so confused. I want it to be ordered in the will of God. Here's your answer. Psalm 22, of course, starts with the prayer of Jesus on the cross. I think that's very apropos to this verse. The Bible says in Psalm 22, verse 4, our fathers trusted in thee. Have, have you noticed that our, the previous generation was not as confused as the present? You, you don't even have to have a, you don't even have to be a college graduate to know that. You don't have to be smart. Our fathers trusted it. Could it be? Could it be that the previous generation didn't have so much confusion because they trusted the Lord more than we did? Our fathers trusted in thee, they trusted and thou didst deliver them. Watch verse 5, please watch verse 5. They cried unto thee and were delivered. They trusted in thee and were not confounded. Do you see that in your Bible? First Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse number 3, the Bible says this, If so be that ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious, to whom coming 
as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Verse 6. Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, Precious, that's Jesus. And he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you therefore which believe he is precious, but unto them which be disobedient. The stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Even them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. Do you see the contrast? You can, this one, the Lord Jesus Christ, this precious stone, this cornerstone, he can even make, he can either make sure you are not confounded because you believe on him, you trust him, or he can be your stumbling stone. He can be the one that actually does confound you. And you say, preacher, I believe in Jesus. You know what I really think? I think we only believe as much of the Bible as we practice. We're not talking about Walmart and say, I believe the Bible. The devils believe that. Satan believes that. Would you call Satan a Bible believer? I wouldn't let him join my church. He knows all the doctrines, has them all right. But he's not trusting and he's not obeying and he's not submitting himself to what is in his brain. You believe everything God says about the home? You believe everything God says about your life? You believe everything God says in that book? Do you really believe it? Is it a part of your life? The sure way, the antidote of not being confounded, confused, is putting our faith and trust in the Lord. And faith without works is dead being alone. In other words, if you say you believe him, that's going to be evident in your life. So, I don't want you confused. There is nothing like a good, solid, steady ship going through a storm. But we've got all kind of confusion, and I'm telling you, it's because people won't trust God. People won't believe God. They won't listen to God. They won't submit themselves to God. And then they, they look at life and they wonder, why am I so confused? Maybe he did it. <laughs> 